Under the Dome Radio, a full discussion for Season 2, Episode 2, Infestation, recorded July 10th, 2014. Broadcasting from Under the Dome, again in Chester's Mill, it's Under the Dome Radio. It's the unofficial podcast by and for fans like you of CBS TV's Under the Dome, and it is episode 27. Show notes with links and things that we talk about are going to be over at underthedomeradio.com slash 27. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, we highly encourage you to do so. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. And Under the Dome Radio is a mighty proud member of Noodle Mix Network and sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com. And me, I'm Wayne Henderson, the voice acting, podcasting, crop dusting Green Bay Packers fan. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, field burning and investigative reporting podcaster under the dome as well. Wave to Barbie as he flies by. Bye, Barbie. We'll be talking about you in just a minute. You know, as a reminder, if you're a new listener, we're going to be talking about each episode of Under the Dome, starting with our breaking news segment. We've got dome-related news in there, including ratings and happenings around the mill. Then we're going on the air, where we talk about things that we found interesting about this most recent episode of Under the Dome, heading on out after that to On Location, where we talk to all of you domies and residents of Chester's Mill with listener feedbacks and thoughts, and we've got some great feedback this week. We want to hear from you because X-Force 11, Mr. Jeff Gentry, he's got a cool theory that could turn everything around, so stay close for that. Then we're going to head on over and do some investigative reporting. That's for folks who really want to be in the know and maybe even in sync with our book tie-in spoilery section, maybe. And, of course, finishing up with requests and dedications where we share how you can help the show and thank those of you who've been helping get the word out about the situation we're under, Troy. It is a precarious situation at that as we have pesticides and smoke completely affecting our breathable air. So let's get right into the breaking news, shall we? Beep, 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 beep. My turn to do that. Yes, Troy, what is the breaking news? What do we have happening? Well, we have a, a landslide, a, a deep fall happening, I guess, with the Dome. It had 7.7 million viewers. That's 2 million viewers less than last week, but it was still the most watched show of the evening. But it did fall to a 1.7 rating among the adults 18 to 49, which was a significant slide, which allowed MasterChef, The Bachelorette, and American Ninja Warrior, who did have a second hour running against the Dome, to capture the hearts and minds of that young, affluent spending audience. That does not seem possible. I mean, everybody that I talk to is watching Under the Dome. I guess I don't talk to everybody in the world. Now, big news coming up. We are in mid-July, and coming up just a little bit later this month, CBS has announced that Under the Dome is going to be at Comic-Con in San Diego. And, of course, I don't have tickets for that puppy, but those of you that do, you're in for a treat because this year's panel is going to be taking place on Thursday, July 24th. It's in Ballroom 20. They're going to have an exclusive sneak peek at some of the stuff that might be going on later in Season 2 of Under the Dome. And then they're going to have a panel discussion with Barbie, Big Jim, Julia, James Don't Call Me Jr., Joe, and newcomer Sam. And they're going to be joined by executive producer Neil Bayer. And you can keep in touch with all things going on in relation to Under the Dome and Comic-Con. Just follow the hashtag DomeXP. 
SDCC on Twitter. But even better, David Letterman, now, of course, he's on CBS, so he's probably paid to talk about the CBS shows, but he was trying to help give some viewers outside of the Dome a little perspective on what happens as we watch this awesome show on Monday nights. So he gave a little bit of a Dome recap, and basically what happened was he just kind of played a little clip, 20 seconds, no big deal. But then Paul Schaefer, of course, added a little trusty musical component to the background, which I thought was very interesting. Take a listen. There's a dome recap. One more time. Yes, that's right. Dome made me do that. You can get the full clip over at our show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 27. Look for the Letterman link to see the full clip. Yeah, because there's some great stuff, and it is the full clip that we'll link to in the show notes. Thanks for uh, CBS for uh, sharing those great David Letterman highlights. He's still my favorite of all the late-night talk show hosts. Now, let's go ahead and go on the air. This last week's episode, if you heard our initial reactions we had a lot to say about this episode, but we're going to dig deeper and hopefully be even more coherent. You know, one of the things that really struck me right off of the top was Andrea Grinnell, our favorite hoarder in Chester's Mill. She's over at the diner and says the same thing almost verbatim that Linda said about Big Jim and how Big Jim was willing to sacrifice himself. Now, if I remember correctly, she was unconscious during the whole event. So how does she know about Big Jim's sacrifice that was supposedly needed? That's a really good question. I picked up on that on the second watch as well. Now, we didn't see her in the opening of the season, so we don't know if she was truly unconscious or not. We're assuming that the EM field affected everybody in the mill, but she does say that. She's like, it was great that you had this sacrifice. And I'm like, she's sacrifice. Who else used that word other than Linda and Big Jim talking to Julia? So is she in communication with the Dome somehow? I would not be surprised because she seems to have something going on, not to mention the fact that she was one of the first to notice that there was something uh, suspicious going on with Big Jim and Sheriff Perkins and uh, Reverend Coggins and the whole propane thing from season one. So she may have some intuition. Maybe she is far more important than we've been led to believe. She is the answer to how the dome gets raised because the generator for the dome is somewhere buried in her house, and that's why they can't find it. That could be. In fact, the dome might be part of her collection. Did Never. you say the dome? Dome. Dome, 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 dome. Dome, dome. Oh, uh, yes. But Barbie feels he knows this mystery girl, too. He's having this conversation with Julia in the kitchen, and he's like, I, I just feel like I know this person somehow, some way. So is this Barbie's past coming back into play? Is he channeling something? Was... He getting a thought implanted during the EM field going on? How would Barbie know the hatchling? I, when I watched a second time, I wasn't positive if that was the look that he had, like a knowing look, like Sam definitely knows something about the hatchling. And we got a listener theory about that a little later on. But uh, Barbie, we're on two different sides of the fence. I just think he had a concerned look because everybody was so kind of enthralled with her and accusing her of all of these things. But you think that look meant that Barbie might have known her from the past? If so, why do so many people seem to know the hatchling? 
Well, and, well, he said actually to Julia, I feel like I know her. He said those exact words to Julia. So that's why I picked up on it. And it just seemed interesting that Barbie, of all people, who supposedly was just passing through town and doesn't actually grown up in the mill, how would he know any connection to the things that are happening like Pauline Rennie, for example? Right. Or Pauline Verdreau, since we don't want to actually associate her with Big Jim. <laughs> I think we're going to have to. Maybe everybody is going to come, in come into contact with the hatchling and get the sense that they, that they know her. Maybe because she is so tied to the dome. Quite possibly. But we have bigger problems on our hands because our air is getting toxic with all the fire that Miss Pine is now spreading as she burns these caterpillar eggs. And as the fire's burning and the camera shot kind of pulls away to show the field, I thought the fire burning kind of made the shape of a phoenix. Hmm. Did you catch that at all? I did notice that it had an odd shape considering the crops that she was burning in that area, but I didn't pick up on it being a phoenix. Listeners, you want to help us out? Screen grab, maybe uh, some mythical tie-ins to a phoenix? Uh, give us a call, 904-469-7469, or send in whatever you got to feedback at underthedomeradio.com. That's a good point. If if we're going to be looking for all these different uh, symbolic items, Troy, that this could make it even more mysterious. Maybe I was just trying to reach for something spectacular in this episode because the first episode was so great. And this one was kind of like just, eh, you know, it was there. Right. But and it, it, it looked like a bird shape to me. So I said bird, phoenix, going with our rebirth concept that we've been talking about. It's, it's possible. Or maybe the shape of a half of a butterfly. That could be too. And I'm still trying to figure out, you know, James Jr. Rennie, you know, he thinks just because he passed out, and he mysteriously has Angie's bracelet that he is starting to take the blame on himself that he thinks he might be the one that killed Angie. I still say he was framed. And right now, the likely suspect for me is Sloppy Sam. What do you think? Well, before we even talk about suspects, I want to talk about the scene where he reaches under the bed to look for that bracelet. Because at first, he's coming off of the fact that, oh, she didn't have a bracelet on. Is he searching for the bracelet because subconsciously he knows it's under his bed? Or is he just reaching under the bed looking for an empty bottle or a bottle to drink and stumbles across the bracelet? What say you? Hmm. Continuity error or just wrote it in there for no reason? I, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of frantically reaching under the bed. So is he grasping for the bracelet or is he grasping for a bottle and finds the bracelet? Or did he lose his cell phone? I mean, you know, we all get in a panic when we lose it. That's true. But as far as suspects go, I mean, they did a really good job, I think, eliminating certain people. They had that specific conversation where Joe was like, no, I saw Big Jim. He was zonked out on the couch, so it can't be Big Jim. You know, and then we have Sam and Junior, you know. Last season, we were like, oh, the fourth hand, the fourth hand. It can't be Junior. It's too obvious to be Junior. <laughs> so, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice kind of thing. So maybe it is Junior during one of this blacked out binge sequences because we did find out after the rewatch the reason why he was on the bender, why he drank. He specifically told Sam that because I saw my mom and it just like totally messed me up, that's why I drank last night and I drank too much and now I can't remember what happened. So it was a one-time occurrence, but because he had the EM effect, 
could that drive him to do something? Nothing would surprise me as, you know, and I'm trying to put some of the things from the book out of my mind right now while we discuss this part. And of course, later in the show, we'll be talking about some things in the book that may or may not tie into this, but uh, something's definitely going on with uh, Big Jim and another semi-obvious suspect. And I mean, we're not going to talk about the trailer at the end of last week's episode. Some people might consider that too spoilery, but it is no secret that uh, Bakersfield country singer Dwight Yoakam, who is also a great actor, will begin his appearances on Under the Dome next week as the town barber, like we talked about a couple episodes ago. And uh, I would not be surprised if he does not become a suspect. Everybody's a suspect. There's nowhere for anybody to run. <laughs> That's true. They can't say I was out of town. Oh, really? What about the dome? But then we have Big Jim. Big Jim, this guy, you know, he flip-flops more than I think most people do when they're running for office. And he's the only one that's in office, which makes it even funnier that he flip-flops so much. <laughs> but now he's basically becoming the religious figure of the oh, town on my. top of the fact that he's the only ruling councilman. Call him mayor, basically, at this point, because there's no city council to speak of. Right. And not to mention him having that perfect, stereotypical used car salesman smile. Well, and he reminds people that he's a used car salesman, too. So does that imply that I am still a lying cheat? No offense to any car salesman out there. Not trying to stereotype you or anything, but you know, he's telling everybody, you know, hey, I'm I'm just a slick willy. You know, why are you following me? But yet they still do it. I thought it was very interesting that he actually brought that up himself uh, during all that other grandstanding that he was doing there in the church. Well, in honor of that grand setting, I think we should all take a pause right here. We need to stand up together as all the Chester's million that we are, all the domies and dome heads of the world. And let's all say the big gym prayer. I mean, pledge. Oh. I mean, prayer together. Ready? Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I pledge my loyalty to the dome and to the man in which it protects and to our town for which they stand, one community under the dome impenetrable with allegiance and loyalty to big Jim. Amen. Just put your hands on your uh, smartphones or your computers and say, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was definitely the craziest part of the whole episode was just big Jim himself. And upon further rewatch, we were talking a little bit about the snow globe. We confirmed it said Los Angeles, but apparently there was some more California tie ins in this whole snow globe section. And, do you think this is maybe somehow tied to the throwbacks in the drug storyline? Not that it's tied to California, but it just seems like a lot of stuff all compacted in there. Was it basically just taking our eyes off of what was really going on? Why was all that there? That's possible. I When they're walking through the woods, Joe's wearing a, a bear on his shirt. Looks like, It's like a bear on a bicycle, and it says California underneath of it. And then when they walk into that room with the Los Angeles snow globe, there's a picture of a bear on the wall. So is the bear significant other than the fact that Neil Bear is the executive producer? I don't know if that's symbolic or just it happened to be the same thing in the same shot just to be there. But I, just, I did pick up on that there was a bear photo on the wall and that Joe's wearing a bear in a shirt that said California while looking at a California snow globe. And maybe the bear is a whole communist thing. Who knows? Very, very suspicious indeed 
And then, of course, the big symbolism in the whole episode that takes us all the way back to the pilot episode of Under the Dome, the bloody handprint. What do you think it all means? Because we, we, you know, we've had Barbie's handprint on the inside of the dome. We've had the certain hands that had to go on the mini dome. Now we got the bloody handprint, and I'm sure there's been more bloody handprints and <laughs> more to come. Do, do you think we should read too much into that? Well, we had a listener call in, and I want to take this listener feedback. Actually, it was an email from a lady by the name of Kendra, and she actually made a really good point about the four handprints. Because initially we saw four clean handprints in season one that were the keys to unlock the mini dome. But in the scrapbook that Sam had, it was for bloody handprints. And now we've seen two of those bloody handprints, Dale's and Angie's. So does that mean that the start of each season is going to have a bloody handprint signifying four seasons? Mm. Or is that going to be something significant that we need to find all four bloody handprints before the dome will actually raise. So that means two more people have to die. And it doesn't have to be specifically the, the original four hands because Barbie was the first bloody hand technically. True. Not to mention, you know, the very first bloody hand probably belonged to that person that uh, got their body chopped in half. But that's a whole more gruesome story that they just glossed over. I think those are great observations, Kendra. And I like the, yeah, just the touch on that, uh, if it tied into four seasons of Under the Dome, I'm all for that. We'll have to wait and see. But the most important part of the episode, of course, for us here is the weekly lost reference. Yes. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Cue the lost reference of the week, Troy. Does anybody else that watch Lost think the others are coming every time you see a pillar of black smoke in the distance i i'm raising my hand my bloody hand right now and that was a lot of smoke when we rewatched it a second time when they first see the smoke i mean that was thick heavy smoke it looked like an oil refinery was burning down but when they get there it's you know a field of uh, caterpillars but I, i'm gonna overlook that but yes i did think of the others well, and how did it burn out so fast? Because if you remember back, I think it was episode two was the fire and Sheriff's house was burning down and they're talking about the fact that, oh my gosh, the flames are too high. We can't put it out. And then Jim's got to come with the front loader to knock it down to basically get the flames to stop from growing higher and higher. So if these fields are burning, how do these fields stop burning? Is it really a controlled burn? I mean, it was there's a forest in the background. This thing could have spread fairly quickly. And then it comes back to the question of what happens to the smoke from this fire. Now in season one, I thought they had mentioned that the dome was somewhat, I guess, permissible, I guess is the word I'm looking for, that you know the, the carbon from the smoke could eventually seep through the dome to the outside, and that's why they weren't concerned about it. But I would think with pesticides and the smoke that we're going to have some air quality issues eventually under the dome. I hope so, because that would not only be more similar to what's in the book, but it also would be a little more realistic. I think last season when they touched on the fact that the dome was a little bit like porous, whatever permissible, whatever you want to call it, with letting in some moisture and letting out some air, I think that was a bit of a loophole that uh, either they're going to hope we forgot they ever talked about, or like you hinted on the last episode, Troy, that maybe the characteristics of the dome might be different now that it turned to black and white and clear and it's doing all these other crazy things but i do think uh 
air quality management is going to need to be on the scene if they can get into the dome because things are not going to get good. Things are going to get bad. Well, of course, that part of our show where we talk about ratings, that's our ratings, not the television ratings. We did that at the top. So you're rating this week, Mr. Wayne Henderson, for infestation. Well, I gave this a lot of thought, and I didn't want to sound way too grumpy or negative. So I, after a second rewatch and letting it just settle in, I'm going to go with six out of ten burning fields of caterpillars. We line up, because I do, did gave it a real honest second watch, and there were some things that I actually didn't pick up on the first time, like Andrew Grinnell and possibly the shape of the phoenix in the field. And so maybe we had to look a little bit harder for the fun things that us, you know, geeky type people are looking for, rather than just watching the surface show of, you know, Julie and Barbie in bed, et cetera, et cetera. So I also gave it a six out of 10 strange big gym sleepovers. Interesting. We both have the same ratings. Listeners, what what are you thinking about ratings? Uh, how well did you like the episode? If you had to assign it a number uh, give us a call, 904-469-7469, because my first inclination, and this is why we don't throw out our thoughts till we've watched the episode twice and let it settle in, because if you would have asked me Monday night during our initial reactions episode, I would have given it a three. So a six, that's not too bad. There's shows out there that'll never achieve anything as high as a six. Just saying. Just saying. Well, let's go on location and actually hear what the listeners thought of this past Monday night's episode, starting out with our good friend, Mr. Neil from Bowie. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Season 2, Episode 2, Infestation. It was an interesting episode, though not the best in the world. The introduction declares it has been two weeks since the dome came down, about one day per episode. We see butterflies on the other side of a window are attracted to Julia's hand. Uh, it would be interesting to see if she, the monarch, has some power of the, over them, but that was not explored, at least not in this episode. Junior discovers Angie's dead body in the school, completely covered by butterflies. Pauline apparently drew an image of our new uh, character some 20 years ago. Don't know how that psychic power is working. It would be interesting to see her again. Uh, Rebecca Pine and Big Jim are now uh, an alliance, and she's not thrilled with Barbie. The town seems clearly, once again, under Big Jim's sway, and we'll have to see what will happen if they need to thin the herd due to running out of food. It'll be interesting to see what happens next time under the dome. Neil from Bowie, thank you so much for uh, sending that in, sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, some good points there, and it is going to be interesting to see how that all plays out Troy, what'd you think of Neil's call? I think he brought up some good points. The yes. the window scene, Julia touching it, the butterflies actually moving in to be attracted to the center of her hand. There has to be more with these butterflies, and especially even the caterpillars for that matter. Because remember, inside the mini dome, they actually it was a caterpillar first that then turned into the chrysalis that became the butterfly that went berserk and blacked out the dome. So now that we have all these other caterpillars. By killing them off, is that going to signify something bad going to happen for the rest of Chester's Mill? I think it just has to. Well, we heard from the Dome Ambassadors again this week on their thoughts for infestation. Dome Ambassador Lisa said that she loved it and was truly touched 
by the emotion from Joe about Angie's death. I don't trust Rebecca and her strange adoration of Big Jim. And I agree with her. That whole, everybody just seeming to trust Big Jim seems weird to me. <laughs> no doubt. And that dumb, yeah, exactly. And then Dome Ambassador Die actually says, not so sure about Rebecca. Something about her makes me uneasy. She and Lyle are going to butt heads, it seems. Excited to see that play out. And I'm sure she's talking about Lyle Chumley here coming up. Mm, can't wait to see what happens. It's good to hear from the inside information that our Dome ambassadors are able to share with us. And it's good to see that I'm not the only one who's thinking, you know, these new characters are very untrustworthy. It's going to take a while before I can really get into them and, uh, and feel like I can trust them and know them. Except for uh, next week's new character. <laughs> Everybody loves a barber, so I'm going to trust that guy right off the bat. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to call this phone number because it was just really fun to call. Hey, it's Sheila. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Troy. I want you to bring up the fact that Carla Chrome is kicking butt with an American accent. Because, you know, it's one thing to have your acting chops, but having to do an accent and play a character has got to be twice as tough. So i got to give major mad kudos to Carla for coming into the U.S. You know, she's from, uh, she's from England, you know, about 45 minutes away from London. And she's doing such a great job. So I uh, wanted you guys to comment on that. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, Sheila, for calling 904-469-7469. And, of course, Sheila is the morning DJ at Sunny 104.5 FM in Wilmington, North Carolina, where Under the Dome is filmed. You can check out everything about Sheila's blog at wilmywoodnc.com. And Carla Chrome, she's absolutely killing it. I mean, she's been in most of the scenes this season so far, playing Rebecca Pine, of course, this, the teacher. And you would never guess that she was English with the way she's been portraying her accent this year. So, yeah, absolutely. She's been doing a great job acting. She's fit in with the cast really well. I just think after this week, though, some people are starting to go, eh, this teacher's a little crazy. I mean, first she wants to kill caterpillars, and then later on in the episode, she wants to kill people. <laughs> wow. That sounds like a Stephen King-inspired TV show to me. And, Sheila, thank you so much for calling in. And more inside information, because I had no idea that Carla Chrome, a.k.a. Rebecca Pine, was English. She's doing a spot-on accent. I mean, if I had to study everybody on the show and try to guess who might be English, I, I would have guessed the hatchling. I don't know why, though. It seems funny that a lot of these foreign actors and actresses are able to actually do the American accent easier, and then when you see an American try to do a foreign accent, it's just terrible. Oh, yeah, it's almost always bad, horrible. Just don't do it. Well, I got a better idea, or more importantly, Craig, who goes by at Keswick Pinhead on Twitter. He said, here is what you can do to solve the Caterpillar problem, Mr. Big Jim and Ms. Teacher Rebecca. What you could do is that you can solve the Caterpillars and the food shortage. And here's how you do it. And, it, and I, can only, I can just picture this in the Independent right now, if Julia is actually still running the newspaper and putting a paper out every week since we haven't heard about it since the pilot in season one. Right. But the headline would read, Big Jim develops a delicious recipe utilizing caterpillars. Feeds everyone day saved. Oh, I've got to hear about this. <laughs> I'm getting daily, hungry already. It's a daily special <clears throat> that we could see at the Sweetbriar Rose, Big Jim's Caterpillar Casserole. So healthy, few in Chester's Mill 
will want to kill pigs for bacon. All will lose weight in the end. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, if the people get desperate enough for food in Chester's Mill, I could see that happening. But right now, perhaps it's an acquired taste. Well, you know, caviar is fish eggs. I don't know what you would call caterpillar eggs, but I suppose they're salty, too. <laughs> Tastes just like chicken is what I hear. Well, Kendra also had some thoughts on Rebecca Pine. As far as the science teacher goes, she does not like her at all. She's really getting on my nerves. I hope in the process of killing people off that she does away with herself. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Kendra. It would only be the noble, heroic thing to do, right? Right. And she is feeding Big Jim's ego super hard, and it is making me sick. Yuck. Go away already. Big Jim is no hero, and neither is she. Big Jim has a huge hero complex, and it seems the whole town is just falling for it. I have no idea why. He is a used car salesman after all, and in case you were wondering, we do have a used car lot in my hometown, very similar to the one that Big Jim has on the show. I feel like the Dome should have scrambled all the residents' brains to help them think clearly and not worship him in the house of God. There is so much wrong with all of this in a million ways. Kendra. Uh, thank you very much, Kendra. That's a lot of things to think about. And yeah, I don't really know why the folks of Chester's Mill, why so many of them are all of a sudden falling for Big Jim and his story. But uh, there's bound to be a twist in the road coming up, I would assume. Hey there, Wayne and Troy. This is Mike at Mike Scott 8 on Twitter. Uh, just calling in some feedback uh, that I haven't heard anyone mention. I think the hatchling, as you guys were calling her, um, is actually a kid that Sloppy Sam killed in a DWI accident or something. I think that is a connection between the two and why he was so freaked out when he saw her. I have not heard that anywhere else, Mike. That is brilliant. I could see where that definitely could be the reason that Sam seems to know the hatchling is perhaps he killed her when he was on a bender of some sort. What do you think? That's really interesting. And that, that could play into why he was, you know, excommunicated, removed from the Chester's Mill EMT force. Mm -hmm. Somehow, maybe there was some accident that he was involved with. And then, of course, Big Jim helped cover it up because they are brothers, after all, by relation. I, I, I like it. I also love the fact that Mike used Sloppy Sam. He's totally bought into the book name for him. I think we just got to keep it going. And of course, the hatchling is taking name, taking shape now, because we still don't know that Melanie is named Melanie because she doesn't even know her own name. That's true. When when she said she didn't know, I'm like, oh, well, so much for the press release that told us all about Melanie. <laughs> she will always be and forever be the hatchling for I, I, the rest of the season. She could even have a spinoff television show, The Hatchling, after Under the Dome wraps up. Well, Kendra is actually back, too. And this goes more back into the who killed Angie conversation and the theory about Sam potentially being the person who have done it. Uh, at first, she was really thinking Junior call me James. However, it seems a little too easy. And that's exactly what we said about the fourth hand last year. And look where that got us. Yeah. So keep that in the back of your mind. But if this were true, then it would certainly follow the book. I'm confident that it is not Big Jim. Not sure about our new friend Sam, though. Like you guys, I'm not sure how I feel about Sam just yet. 
He seems sneaky, but not sure if in a mysterious way or in a bad way. Sam, the hatchling definitely know each other, so I look forward to hearing more about their story. As for James drinking, I don't think he's been drinking right along. I think that since seeing his mother, he may have started to drink, which he does confirm in the episode as he's talking to his uncle. Or, of course, maybe the stress of the dome is just starting to push him in that direction. Because remember, sometimes he wasn't quite right in the head to begin with in the first place as he was growing up. So thanks again, Kendra, for submitting that to the feedback email, feedback at underthedomeradio.com. Hey, this is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11, calling in about the latest episode of Under the Dome. Um, a couple interesting things. They, you know, they were looking at that Los Angeles snow globe. Uh, Joe was wearing basically a California, it looked like a California flag or, you know, resembling the California flag with a bear on the front of it. He was wearing that T-shirt. Then in the house, there was a picture of a bear on the wall. Not sure what's going on with that symbolism there, um, you know, you know, with the bears or, you know, what's going on there. Um, there was um, one other thing that I wanted to say. I hadn't looked at the synopsis, but um, Stephen King had a, um online subscription thing called The Plant. And it dealt with Zenith Publishing. So I don't know if there's a tie-in there or anything like that. I haven't read that one. Uh, but uh, just passing those thoughts along. Thanks, guys. Bye. Jeff Gentry, you just blew my mind. Mine too. The plant. So I had to look this up. <laughs> Is it just, true? It's- yes. So it was a, it was a story. I, I have to get this right he put it out like in pieces. So it was like little mini drops of pieces. And he did it as an online test to see if he could sell eBooks without big publishing houses. And he said, basically if he got, I think it was like $75 per thing or whatever, 75%. If if it was paid, you know, for every down, that's what it was. It was for every download. If there was 75% of the downloads were paid downloads versus free downloads, he would keep putting out more and more, excerpts of this story and the story basically is around a writer who submits a book to a publishing house called zenith house publishers Mm -hmm. which kind of sounds like a big corporation and of course zenith house publishers says dude your story is whacked it's all crazy and killers and murders and stuff and we don't (laughs) want it so the guy actually sends this plant into the office at zenith house publishing and then, of course, one of the you know editors takes care of the plant, kind of like the monarch taking care of the egg. Uh-oh. And then, of course, things go awry and the plant, I don't know, guess kills people or something. Things just don't go well for Zenith. So the fact that we have a Zenith shout out, the fact that we have people taking care of other things, interesting tie in, especially knowing that Stephen King wrote the first episode of season two. Is he trying to push the story and blend the two together, kind of a mashup? That would be fantastic. I had no clue. And Jeff Gentry, great catch on that. Because the fact that it talks about Zenith House Publishers, who could turn out to be a subsidiary of North Central Positronics, that's fantastic. And the metaphor that you talked about that's in that story. Uh, Great catch, Jeff. X-Force 11 on Twitter. (laughs) This guy catches things. Thank you so much. 
and we'll put a link to where you can download the plant because it is available in two PDFs, parts one, two, three, and then parts four, five, six. I have to warn you ahead of time though, listeners, he didn't finish it. So, so if you're going to read it, just be forewarned, there is no ending. <laughs> you may have like, to watch the rest of season two to find out. Maybe that's where the ending is going to come in. You never know with Stephen King. I love it. This is a, just great stuff. I've already got my wheels spinning. And I also love that Jeff pointed out the bears too. So at least I wasn't the only one that caught it. Now we did post a few questions out on Twitter this week. Our first question we threw out there was, would you rather have Big Jim serve you breakfast at home or breakfast at the diner? And Lily Love Jones said that at home is where she would rather be. But Kelly PSOTX on Twitter said that at the diner, because of course you don't want to be alone with Big Jim any way, shape or form. So thanks for answering that one. That was good stuff. And then we said, would you rather see Phil as a cop or back playing music at the radio station? Now, uh, Ring Draws on Twitter said, Phil hasn't been the same since Dodie died, where Minostig on Twitter said both at the same time, hmm. which I thought was interesting. But then Mark in Canada took it even further and said it'd be awesome if he was actually on the radio playing the police. <laughs> I love it. I'll send an SOS from the dome. I'll send an SOS from the dome. I hope that someone gets my, I hope that someone gets my message from a bubble. Uh, you know, two things. One, Troy, that would be a great American Idol audition for you next season. Um, I'll see if we can get you past Harry Connick Jr. on that one. And also just a reminder, follow our Twitter account, UTD Radio Podcast, because you know, after the podcast and in between episodes, we, we try to keep the engagement going there and throwing out some of these thought provoking questions and other ways that you can just have fun, because after all, it's all about the fun. Continuing with the fun, we said, would you rather fly a plane with Barbie or drive a front loader with Big Jim? And Patrice Balfour said clearly that she would do both because she likes her bad boys either way. <laughs> oh, boy. And of course, as your definitely sounds dangerous. As your parent, would you rather have Carolyn or Big Jim? Now, Hagar CH and Nicholas Edward P. say Carolyn for sure. But then Big Jim himself tweeted back and said, is this a joke? <laughs> Me, of course. Now, I'm going to throw in my vote right now because I, I would go with Carolyn because the Big Jim family bloodlines are not looking very sturdy right now. Well, then our final question this week was, uh, with your sweetheart, would you rather go for a walk in the woods or in the tunnels of the cement factory? And of course, on this one, the woods won every time. But keep in mind, you are walking on a carpet of dead butterflies. Eh, they're pretty fuzzy that way. That, that's a good question. And we're going to try to think of some other good ones for this coming week after next week's episode. <laughs> Judging by what we've seen in the trailer, uh, we're going to have some interesting questions. Let's go back to the listener voicemail. Hey, Wayne and Troy, this is Hank Davis from the Falling Skies Fan Podcast, located over at tpenetwork.com. Just calling in for your Under the Dome radio podcast. At this point, I think I enjoy the podcast more than I do the actual TV show, but it's still a good show. My major beef with this episode would be that they just seem to have dropped the situation with Barbie and Big Jim. Barbie was about to be hung, but now he's free 
it doesn't seem like any of the townspeople are questioning that he's free and that Big Jim is free. It seems like they just dropped who actually killed Dodie. Like, that's irrelevant now because there's a bigger problem. Monarch butterflies are eating all the crops or about to. Interesting dynamic there. I grew up on a 40 acre farm in Michigan when I was a kid. And so that was kind of cool that they tied the milkweed to monarch butterflies. That's legit. Never once did we hop on an airplane to spray fields, but I digress. I'm sure they wish that they would have kept our old buddy Ollie Dinsmore around a few more episodes so he could have taken care of the crops and it wouldn't be in this mess. Other than a few holes here and there, love the show. Really enjoying the podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. I'll talk to you later. Hank Davis. Thank you so very much. Last minute voicemail coming in just in time. We love it that you put that together and send it in. And the fact that you threw in some legitimacy to the whole monarch butterfly thing. We like that. Get some personal history. And even though you're kind of iffy on the TV show Under the Dome right now, hang with it because it's going to get insane. It just looks that way. But either way, thank you so much for listening to the Under the Dome radio podcast. And everybody also check out his Falling Skies podcast for the uh, summer television show, Falling Skies. And there was a familiar voice on the Falling Skies podcast this week, Troy. Well, for some reason, I can't seem to avoid these Amblin television productions in any way, shape, or form, since Falling Skies is also done by Steven Spielberg's Amblin television outfit. So, yes, Hank asked me to come on to talk about episode three, Exodus, this week. And, of course, you can find that at tpenetwork.com to tune in to the Falling Skies podcast and hear our hilarity over there as well. You might even hear some singing from me from my American Idol practice run. Man, you were getting warmed up. I thought you and I were trying to get ourselves ready for getting on The Amazing Race, but you're also trying to get on American Idol. You are multi-talented, my friend. Well, hopping over to a few other podcasts is showing my endurance for The Amazing Race. That's the plan. I'm sure that's going to be one of the tasks. (laughs) If so, we're gold. We're ready. But we love all the feedback this week, especially Kendra, because she wrote back again. And the reason why I've been featuring Kendra this week is she actually has a tie to Stephen King. And so the way that this is going to work out is that she's actually from Chester's Mill. Can you believe it? Really? No. But Chester's Mill is a fictional town. But if you read the Chester's or the Under the Dome novel, there's actually a map of Chester's Mill and some of the surrounding areas like Norway and Paris inside of Maine, which is in the United States. And she lives basically in the same area of Maine where Chester's Mill fictitiously would be. And so what she found interesting and was nice to share with us is that when you take Chester's Mill, it's, it's actually a flip map of the town that she lives in. So it's literally upside down. And she thought that was really cool. And there's actually many places about Chester's Mill that parallel that exact area in Maine where Stephen King is from. For example, Big Jim Rennie is a play on spelling for their department store, also a Maine-based chain store only called Rennie's. We also have a food city grocery store referred to in the book and, of course, where they were uh, having that riot outside during season one. And there is actually a Route 117 that's very real that goes between Norway and Paris. And it's referred to often in the book. And I believe that's also where the truck crashed at the dome in the first episode of season one. And there's actually some town people that they can pinpoint who they actually really are in the real town. 
if they are a mixture of people, they she tries to look for those in the show to see if they can find out if there's like a cross plant there. So I thought that was kind of cool. But the trivia that you wanted to leave for all of us domies was that it's a relatively quiet New England town. However, gets really heavy with tourists during the summer months in the lakes region. And then again in the winter because they live so close to the mountains with a ski resort. So when Stephen King wrote Under the Dome, he wanted to pick October so that when the dome came down, it would truly be only the locals that were impacted by the dome being trapped. So that is kind of an interesting twist. That is amazing stuff. Kendra, I am so glad that you're stepping out and sharing this with us because it all ties into how Stephen King likes to do things. And there's confirmation from Kendra, and she may be able to provide us with a lot more inside information. And it just takes me back to, uh, what was it, June 19th, 1999, when Stephen King was hit by that car while he was out walking and he almost died. In fact, I guess there were some spurious news reports that said that he had died. But obviously, he had a long recovery. Otherwise, if he had not recovered, we wouldn't have got 11-22-63 or the Under the Dome novel and some of his other great stuff he's done since that time. And just he ties in real things and puts them into the book and just makes it. And that's probably why it feels so real, right? I would think so, because it's stuff that you could picture happening, I guess. In this case, with Chester's Mill, you know, we talked a little bit last year. and. You know, probably the best thing to do is actually head back and listen to our podcast where we actually reviewed the actual book Under the Dome. You can find that at underthedomeradio.com slash book review because it's really interesting when you think about the stuff that people had to go through in the book because it could happen. I mean, yes, granted, a giant plastic bubble might not fall from the sky, but you could have a natural disaster or some kind of event that would cause people to be trapped. Just take a, a good example is the Atlanta ice storm that recently happened where people were literally trapped for two days, either in their cars or had to leave their cars to get to a, a, a place to warm up. You know, very similar situation. Like what could happen if that would have continued on for more than two days? Exactly. And, you know, there's been even stranger things that have happened. So a giant dome encapsulating a town I would not uh, bat an eye if that really happened. Well, speaking of the book, let's go into our investigative reporting section because yes. I want to talk about Junior and these blackouts because that's very similar to the book. Yes, because and I'm excited about this because that's one of the things so far in season two is that they're getting back to things that happened in the Under the Dome novel, at least in one way or another, because the second half of season one was almost nothing like the book, and I didn't think they'd be going back to anything in the book. And now here we are. And talk about Junior and the blackouts. Of course, we can call him James if you prefer, but that's up to you. I mean, the premise of Junior and the book was that he was never really quite right in the head to begin with. And I mean, the first time we meet this character, he's already kind of angry at Dale, Barbara, Barbie, because he was hanging out with Angie at, at the diner. And now he's coming to Angie's house. And right off the bat, you know, we have this you know, altercation between him and Angie, like we saw at the beginning of season one, similar, but in a different place inside of the book. And of course, things take a turn for the worse. And mostly because he has these spells where he kind of, I guess, leaves his body is probably the best way to explain it where he truly isn't really the James that he knows. And then he kind of wakes up and it's like, oh, where the heck am I? You know, why am I here? What am I doing? 
And then he flip flops with his father just as much. You know, at one point he helps Big Jim kill Reverend Coggins in the book, just like in this case, Big Jim didn't do it on on uh, on under the dome. He killed Coggins himself. Right. But Junior is kind of creepy because he actually rolls up Coggins' body in a carpet, and it looks like Junior's done this before. He's like a pro. <laughs> but then he just flips again, yeah. and then he's just against his father. So this this kind of like bipolarism of Junior is really an interesting concept of the book, and I hope that that's where this might be going now that he has this drinking kind of forgetting time experience in this episode although i definitely hope that he gives up the drinking and that was just a one-time thing because he on the television show seems scared that maybe he blacked out and did things that he doesn't remember whereas in the book whether or not he's blacking out or it doesn't seem to phase him in any way shape or form the Junior Rennie and Big Jimmy in the novel are both far worse and more disturbing than on the TV show. Ooh, man. And I have to give a nod to Alexander Cook because his performance so far this season, he's really stepped up his game from last year. So major improvement points for Alexander. And it's just amazing to see what he's doing and the raw emotion he's bringing to the role. Good job for him. Absolutely. And there was also in the book, you know, they talked about in the in the novel under the dome i think they presented it that nothing got out no air at all so as the book went on the toxic toxicity levels and no i i know i can't talk but that's all right the with the bad air from the fires and things just getting lower and lower and taking up more and more space you really could not uh, breathe for you know, you had to be almost on the ground but nearer to the end of the book because the air just went downhill fast. And now on the TV show, they might be heading that way as well because we've got the crop dusting and fires and then, you know, toxic sprays. And who knows what's going to happen if we have more propane exploding. Uh, do you foresee that it's going to get as bad as in the book? I don't know because they have to keep the show going longer because remember, in the book, we're talking eight days when the dome gets lifted. So because of that, we're already two weeks in. How toxic could these things get in the time period that the show is going to be on the air? So I'd hope that they would actually go back to that because that's where the pink stars actually come into play. Exactly. And it has a really, really good payoff because of it. At the same time, remember, you know, these toxins in the air, you know, collect with dust. And then toxins and dust become an insulator. So the other thing that happens inside of the dome in the book is that it gets like an oven. It's like super warm inside, but it's a cool 55 because it's October outside the dome. So will we start to see the heat rise, so to speak, in one way or another inside of Chester's Mill? And will we see Joe's friend Ben again? Is he going to be coming back? Has he visited the barber there in Chester's Mill that we're meeting next week? Perhaps he can perfect his drawing and painting of doors on the dome and actually make one that works. Or he could channel Pauline to see how to draw the real door that gets him out. I have a feeling we're going to find out something to do with a portal of some sort uh, within four episodes. And there's not even a portal in the book. I just love portals. I love portals too. Well, Mark Dickey actually wrote in and he said that he's going through the book right now and he wanted to know if the framing of Angie's death is a similarity to the book, because in the book, Junior kills Angie. 
but Junior actually takes Barbie's dog tags. If you remember, Barbie was looking for those dog tags on Peter uh, Peter Shumway mm-hmm. in the cabin in season one. So Junior takes those dog tags and basically puts them into Angie's hand so that Barbie gets blamed for the murders. That part we, of course, saw at the end of season one when Big Jim tries to blame Barbie for the murders. So is this similar fashion happening only with a little bit of twist? So is someone trying to frame Junior and it's a little bit different spin than the way the book did it? I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, it definitely brought back some memories of that. And Mark, I like where you're going with that. I I have a feeling that's exactly what's happening. But again, Junior was the fourth hand last year. So don't put it past if Junior's the one that ended up killing him. I'm I just, just saying now. I just hope that they've learned from that and and not even though there is the phrase about sometimes the most obvious answer is the right answer. I hope it's not that obvious of an answer that's the right answer. Just my opinion. Well, as a reminder, if you are interested in hearing our full review again of our Under the Dome novel read that Wayne and I did last year, you can check that out at underthedomeradio.com slash book review. Or if you just want to read Under the Dome yourself because it's, you know, 36 hours of audio bliss that you can do on your way to work to and from for, oh, you know, about a month or so, you can go ahead and visit our Amazon affiliate link over at underthedomeradio.com slash book. You can get the hardcover, the paperback, the Kindle, the audiobook. Either way, underthedomeradio.com slash book. Fabulous. But be forewarned, it's very graphic. I know I mention that every time, but I was a little stunned when I read that. That was my very first Stephen King book, and I'm like, whoa. Anyway, let's head on over and uh, share some requests and dedications because this is a radio station after all. Take us away, Troy. Well, Jarek on Twitter, all the way from the United Kingdom, left us a great five-star review on iTunes. I've just started listening to Under the Dome Radio after thoroughly enjoying Wayne and Troy's Resurrection Revealed podcast for ABC's Resurrection. You can check that out at ResurrectionRevealed.com, also on the Noodle Mix Network. Uh, Their passion for Under the Dome and the in-depth discussion combined with embracing the listener fans and views, feedback and comments make it a great companion and communal experience to the show and greatly adds to the viewing experience. So thanks so much, Jarek, for sending that in. And again, whether you're in the United Kingdom, Australia, Spain, the United States, it doesn't matter. Go on over to underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes and go ahead and leave a great review of your own as it helps out the show and, again, spreads the word to the rest of the domies that this is the place for Under the Dome fun. Oh, absolutely. And we're, we're keeping tabs on all the reviews from all the different iTunes stores around the world. I'm still waiting for that first review to come in from Zenith. I, I know that, uh, you know, we might be getting one. So hopefully they're listening and finding a way to tune into the channel over there. Also want to send out special thanks to Professor Alan Middleton, who played our Under the Dome Radio promo on his quarter bin podcast about uh, comics that you can find in the quarter bin. He played the promo this week. So thank you, Alan, for that and all of your support. I know over the past year and a half, you've played a couple of our promos and I just want to thank you for that. And, you know, got to get out there and put on that under the dome radio podcast logo shirt, have some coffee or whatever beverage is your choice. Perhaps big Jim will refill your under the dome radio podcast coffee mug. If you take it on over to the diner, you can get your own over at under the dome radio.com slash goods. You'll be styling and you'll be helping out the podcast all at the same time. It's kind of like a multitasking thing. It absolutely is. But of course, 
those generators in Chester's mill, they might be fried, but Big Jim is going to get them to work again, and they're going to need some propane to run. So you want to make sure that you send over those propane donations. We'll take them and kind of hand them off to Big Jim on the side. So just head on over to underthedomeradio.com slash love or right on the main page. You can actually see the propane donation section there on the right-hand side. Whether it's one day, one week, or all day, you can just go ahead and send that in. Any amount helps out the show and, of course, gets out the word to the rest of the domies that, again, this is the place to be for Under the Dome fun and news and entertainment. So say we all. But most importantly, we love connecting with all of you. Wayne mentioned, of course, our Twitter account, UTD Radio Podcast. Make sure you follow that. Get in on the conversation. Did you know, Wayne, that we're only 30 followers away from the population of Chester's Mill? All we need is a few more uh, barbers, used car salesmen, or any type of individual. Follow us, and uh, we can surpass Chester's Mill residency. Yes, so Twitter is the place to be. Of course, if you like Facebook or Google+, one of those communities, you can find all of the social links right at the top of our page at underthedomeradio.com, as well as all of the places where you can subscribe to the podcast so you get it immediately when each new episode comes out. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, they're all there. Make sure you click subscribe and, of course, leave that five-star review in iTunes. That would be very helpful. I want to thank you in advance for that. Now, remember, listeners, it is your show. And as we've said before, let your voice be heard. Send in your thoughts and theories for the next episode of the Under the Dome Radio podcast. Just visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. And, of course, as we mentioned before, if you uh, find a creative way to send in a photograph of you under any sort of dome, it could be a salad bowl. It could be a light fixture. There's some creative ones over on our site at underthedomeradio.com. Become a fellow dome head and join the uh, Gallery Hall of Fame, I guess you could say. But until the next episode, I am Wayne Henderson. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, even excited to see double rainbow pictures of your house or your tree or whatever it is as we all stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life, laugh with our clean comedy, theorize over great television shows, and so much more, all waiting for you at noodle.mx.